here behind the scenes. We got Mary streaming and another screen to show us when we're when we're actually live. So we'll wait a few more seconds here. Y'all are the magic show 15. We'll give it a few more seconds and then we'll we'll begin, guys. So if perchance people are seeing this, we're appreciative of those of you at Facebook that are watching us live. You can find us here every Monday. All right, and we're live, and it's episode 15. Welcome to Scale Up Heroes. Our goal here is to bring you the best minds with the best real-life experiences when it comes to scaling up businesses. Uh, every week, we invite the heroes who have taken on the difficult odds and are living to tell the tale to join us in these in-depth conversations. I'm your host, Randy Cantrell. To all of our viewers, we want to invite you to visit our website, scaleupacademy.io. Today, we're discussing scaling up product, so we welcome our viewers, our guests, our panelists here to the show. I want to introduce today's moderator, Mateos. He is the head of product at Antidote.me. Mateos, take it away. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Thanks, Randy, and hello, everyone. Uh, really grateful to be here, so thank you for the invite. Um, yes, yeah, so the company that I, I work with, uh, Antidote, uh, we're a marketplace uh, connecting patients and researchers in order to accelerate uh, clinical trials to effectively bring medicines to patients faster. Um, we're around 50 people right now. We've raised uh, $30 million uh, of funding and have grown kind of our reach to uh, a little bit over 250 uh, partner organizations, uh, meaning online health communities, publishers, uh, hospitals, etc. Um, and I'm really excited to be here. Uh, besides my day job at Antidote, I also teach product management at an organization called General Assembly uh, here in London. Uh, but enough about me. Um, let's uh, let's start with some introductions of, uh, of my fellow panelists. Uh, Jonathan, why don't you uh, tell us a bit about yourself and your company? Hi everyone, um, I'm Jonathan Rogers. Uh, I work at Shaper, uh, which is a mobile app uh, for business networking. We're kind of like the Tinder for LinkedIn, if you wish. Um, we're a 30 to 35 uh, people organization. We're based in Paris and New York City. I'm currently in the Paris office where we have most of our tech and product team. Um, and uh, so we're a global app. We have users all over the world, especially 
in uh, the US, North America, Canada, and UK, uh, Ireland, and France, where I am right now. Um, we have about a million users, and so far we've raised about $60 million um, in funding over a few rounds. And, uh, and I'm the head of product. Uh, which I forgot to mention. Uh, I'm one of the founding team members. So uh, at some point I was the only product guy in the company and then we've uh, scaled a little bit. So I can wait to share about that. Awesome, thank you. Um, Michael, would you like to go next? Yeah, sure, hi there. So Michael, I joined Bexio a year ago as a chief product officer. And we are about 75 people at the moment. I think we doubled more or less the last 12 months. We are a company offering everything a small business needs to do their administrative stuff. So from offer invoice creation, bookkeeping, uh, payroll and all these things. And we won the best software startup award last two years in Switzerland. We are based close to Zurich. I don't think we will win it again because I think we are growing out this um, field at the moment. But uh, yeah, that's not the worst thing that can happen. Amazing. Ivy, over to you. Great. First of all, thank you, Scale Up, for having me. Really honored to be here. I'm Ivy Wan, the head of product at iMoney. iMoney is a financial comparison website. We aim to educate consumers on financial matters, uh, help people compare and apply for financial products on our website, like a credit card or a loan. So iMoney is based in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. We operate across four markets in Southeast Asia. We are present in Malaysia, Singapore, Indonesia, and the Philippines. Thank you, Abby. Um, so let's, let's dive in. Um, so hopefully uh, most of you will, will agree with me. Uh, for, for a lot of tech companies to, um, that manage to scale successfully, uh, one, of, one of the common threads is uh, building a very strong product culture within the organization. And kind of to clarify what I mean, what I mean by that, um, it's it's building a product culture when where the company is constantly developing uh, and delivering new revenue streams. So I'd love to hear kind of how you guys manage to do that with within your organizations, and maybe we, we could uh, start with start with Jonathan since you are uh, the uh, founding product guy. <laughs> sure. Um... Yeah, so I mean, a lot of people sometimes talk about uh, product management as the ability to ship ship the right product to um, the right people. Um, and so at this stage of the company, uh, we're just starting monetizing last year uh, by building a first revenue stream made of premium subscriptions. Um, we have many more uh, revenue streams that we'd love to explore. Um, but uh, for now, this is the one that we plan to focus on. And so we started doing that. I mean, we started developing the, I would say, the, the revenue part, uh, you know, about three years into the company's existence. So it didn't happen right away because we did fumble a bit uh, with our initial launch uh, that didn't go too well. And we had to significantly retool our product based on our customers' feedback and everything that was going on uh, on our platform, we actually ended up ditching about 75% of what we had developed and just uh, throwing it down the drain. Um, and just so we could now uh, focus more on what we did right and then start monetizing on that. Understood, and how, 
how big is your product team right now? So right now we're a five people team of product. Uh, there's me, so I'm the head of product, but I'm also a product owner for most of the backend stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, I have a product owner uh, for data science and, um, and our mobile apps, basically our front end. Um, I have uh, someone who's our head moderator who manages moderation, data quality, and support. And I have a UI and UX design. So, and mo a lot of these people came into the company over the past year, like three of them. Um, so it was very much a one-man band initially, uh, trying to make sure that our users' voices were heard or lack of voice initially because we had zero usage on our platform when it first launched. But then moving on, trying to uh, get everybody on board in the company with what it means to actually serve the needs of our users and try to monetize doing it. Uh, so yeah. Cool, thank you. Uh, Michael, how about, um, how about you and Bexio? Yeah, I believe Bexio was pretty fortunate in the very beginning because uh, the three founders, all of them went through the journey of being uh, entrepreneurs themselves in small businesses. So they, we have kind of built in product culture by that due to the fact that they knew exactly what problems they wanted to have resolved if uh, they would be in the original role. Uh, so this went quite well in the very beginning, uh, in the early stages, um, we are about five years old now. Um, obviously, this does not scale too well. Um, so later on, it was very important that we created a vision and a mission statement, which we can also share with the whole organization. So um, we define that our key value actually to bring added value to our clients, make them more successful and make their life actually easier, all the small businesses. And uh, this, again, then helped to come to a common vision and later on also helped us to scale in a sense that we could establish different product streams because we are around about uh, 15 product guys, including UX at the moment. So we are running in different streams by now. And to make sure that everybody uh, is targeting the same goals, uh, we make sure pretty early that the things are defined well what we expect as an outcome. Um, so we try to identify uh, what is the value we bring to the users based on the different streams. We try to merge this together and we try to rather early on also validate this uh, with our clients. So we constantly try to reflect what are additional value streams we can generate for our clients. We do have the current stage, okay. Uh, I mean, we are growing fast in our customer base. We are having 15,000 clients um, using Bexio, what's pretty good in the B2B uh, environment. We are the leading uh, company in Switzerland after four years, but in our field, but we want to make sure that this is constant, right? So we are trying to be close to our user base, um, listening um what works well what does not wor work well and based on this we can usually identify some kind of added values that we can uh, bring onto our base um, product so we can um, increase the average revenue per user that's basically the target so we are not changing our value proposition as such uh, because this is important for us to be really stable to have our key focus area and that's the small businesses but we constantly try to identify what value add we can bring in addition. And we are for this also using the ecosystem. Uh, so we don't expect that we are um, solving all of this on our own, but we are partnering with um, value providers as well and try to 
with the we are trying to build up an ecosystem for uh, the small businesses so that they can kind of a one-stop software shop uh, have everything they need and uh, by this it's well it's more the, the challenge to identify really the right value stream and revenue stream that makes sense and in, in terms of your customer validation process like what, what does that consist of uh, normally it's, sometimes it can be a bit tricky with with kind of b2b businesses so i'd, I'd love to hear what yeah we are basically doing. i think we are using three different mechanisms so remotely on-site or crowd and what i mean by this is that remotely obviously we are doing remote tests uh, by video uh, similar to what we are doing now um, we, every tools are around nowadays that allow the remote testing. Then we are inviting people to our uh, site or we are coming to the client site. Now, we have a pretty active user base, so this helps us. Uh, I do understand. Uh, I'm coming from the enterprise um, automotive and aerospace um, field, so it was not the same there. But uh, here with the small businesses, uh, we are really close to them, I would say. So this helps us in early validation. We are not doing too much A-B testing, uh, actual real A-B testing in a sense of developing functionality and testing different variations. But we try to validate early on and uh, then implement the things which work well in the concept phase. And we onboarded uh, actually a crowd testing platform, um, uh, which we use in this stage also for exploratory testing. Yeah. Um, so they have uh, not a lot of business context, but they at least can help us also with valuable feedback uh, in a sense of user experience and if the things uh, work. So at least that's a third pillar we are also using. Oh, thank you. That, yeah, we actually, yeah, we take a similar approach uh, to what you've described at Antidote as well. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, Ivy, over to you. How, how, um, how did you guys establish product culture within your organization? Especially that it seems that you, you operate in so many different markets. Um, I can imagine it can be difficult. That's right. So what I find really helpful in uh, my situation is to create uh, a shared goal that centers around the user and the business. So um, the key thing here is to understand each of our different departments, different countries and different stakeholders and what matters to them. So uh, generally the country managers at each of these different countries are the voice of the user and we try to partner as much as we can with them and collaborate to understand what needs to be built for that market. So in general, each team would have a different goal compared to product team. For example, sales team would uh, look at revenue goals, where else the product team would look like a website optimization goals. Right. So from my perspective, the key is to um, to build a great product culture within the organization is to have an alignment and a collaboration on the outcome that we want to achieve together. So that is generally how we have um, a shared goal and a regular flow of communication across the different markets. That makes sense. Um, um, and what, what patterns or kind of habits that, uh, that you've, you've kind of formed that you think work really well and you would advise kind of other, other scaling companies to, uh, to try adopting? Yes, because of our situation where we have different markets. So we actually um, get together. So the management team together with uh, myself come together on a biweekly basis to review our product roadmaps and to just see whether we are focusing on the um, highest impact projects. Cool. And I think that's, that's actually a, uh, a good segue into the, uh, into the next question. Um, so how do you guys decide what to build next uh, and what role does, does data play in there? Um, uh, Jonathan, do you want to? Yeah. 
Yeah, to, to talk also going on from the, your previous question, uh, one thing that did in our case uh, that does help a lot in establishing a true product consumer oriented because we're a B2C app uh, culture um, is also making sure that all the information about your users is as widely available as possible. Uh, so basically in our case, that means having Slack channels for any incoming user review, um, having also channels uh, with highlights from our support team to ensure that what, you know, that we don't, uh, I would say, uh, betray our users with our own words, that we, these are the words that our users are using. So these are two, um, two uh, super uh, important items and they, they really, really help in helping us decide where to focus next. Because when we discuss our coming um, quarter and what our priorities should be, the fact that everybody on the team already had access to that information on a daily basis, uh, sometimes it can be a bit much. We need to moderate that, like because if you only had access to the support channel, you might think that everybody hates your products when actually a lot of people are very happy with it. So you kind of have to work on this uh, aspect as well. Uh, but it really helps, I find, uh, set the stage for when you actually want to, you know, take that mic and say, okay, we need to focus on that because you know, that's something that has been coming up a lot in our users' reviews, uh, et cetera. So that's kind of, I would say, qualitative data. Uh, as far as quantitative data, uh, I would say it is so important because especially when you have a consumer app that with a wide um, array of potential usage, where like we're a networking app, depending on where you are in your career, your needs, will vary, will be completely different from your neighbors. Um, so you absolutely need data to reconcile that and reconcile that feedback with what's actually going on. So we also try to have a strong data culture by also, uh, we have a, like a big screen where we have a lot of data uh, that we try to push as often as possible, just to make sure that people have that and have that knowledge before uh, our, the head of product, me, uh, actually goes ahead and makes a recommendation or before I uh, or when somebody from say the marketing team or the tech team comes and talk to me about a potential topic that we might build a project upon um, they know they also have access to that information that really helps us prioritize that makes sense and you mentioned something about uh, kind of making your organization uh, data driven and kind of exposing screens with metrics etc um, was was that a challenging process or was it just a matter of setting up the screens and people kind of I would say it's data. Still an ongoing process yeah <laughs> it's a loaded question <laughs> yeah I mean I think it's it has to be always an ongoing process because you can you can always do better uh but yeah I mean initially it's it also because not everyone has a natural uh I don't even count myself as someone who's naturally drawn towards charts and, and big numbers um but when you make that effort and when you try to you know, convey that information, also in a way that's valuable to employees, because when you, uh, when you go back to, say, a backend developer and you explain to him with actual numbers that the project that he contributed to that was put online just a week ago already made that much money, uh, then suddenly you know, they get excited too. And they want to know what the next numbers are. And they want to know about retention, et cetera. Um, so I would say it's not just about blasting numbers and uh, beaming them on, 
on a, on a screen. It's really about how uh, management and everybody makes that effort of you know sharing what it's about. Understood. Um, Ivy, would you like to go next? Yeah, sure. So uh, in our case, in general, we prioritize our projects using the impact versus effort matrix. Mm -hmm. But we do keep in mind the long-term product vision and balancing them against the short-term tactical projects. So we do leverage on data to help us estimate each project's impact. Sometimes it could be incremental revenue and sometimes it's cost savings. So once the project is delivered, they are measured. Um, and, you know, those um, success or sometimes failure will be put in as key learnings. And this is, uh, in success cases, is a good way to motivate the team as well. Another thing that is different here in iMoney is that we operate across four markets, as I mentioned earlier, and each geography actually has its own separate website. So this means that sometimes we, we've launched a certain feature, which may have a different impact in the different geography. So using data, we actually then decide which geography to prioritize next for the next iteration. There are some cases, however, that we are more data-driven rather than data-informed. So for example, when we run our A-B test or multivariate test, we are generally, uh, we tend to be more data-driven. Um, it's, 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 it's interesting that with, for, for, um, for your individual markets, uh, certain features uh, may have different impact and you can score them differently. Uh, I, can, I can imagine that can get a little bit tricky it does, it does, because culture and um, people do play a very big part in um, how they use and navigate the websites. So we do have to adjust. Uh, we try to build everything for mass market, but we do try to adjust for localization as well. Thank you. Uh, Michael, over to you. Yeah, I think I can take it uh, over from Ivy that uh, for me, it's also key that uh, you keep both in mind, right? The operational and the strategic targets and... Uh, Nevertheless, for both of them, data plays a big role for us because we we have multiple mo modules of our software, I could uh, call it like that, I think. And uh, I want to know what is the engagement uh, in different product modules um, by our clients or users. So I want to make sure that I invest into things, for example, making something which has low engagement, high engagement, if I think it's important. Um, or if I see the engagement is decreasing, then I might even say, okay, let's phase it out because it doesn't make sense to invest anymore in this uh, particular part of the product. Or we are tracking all our user journeys um, to identify pitfalls, to understand uh, where we can optimize the user journeys. And we are using uh, well, kind of a crowd knowledge uh, by our idea portal where all our clients can bring in new ideas and uh, we kind of can evaluate what is probably more important because one of the most important things for us uh, is that um, our features we are pulling out um, are actually giving value add to most of our client base. So we try to use this mechanism also for um, making hard voices a bit software, softer um, and trying to reach the mass market because that's the key for, for our business definitely. And uh, well, what's maybe also important um, for me at least is that uh, we are not trying to follow isolated targets from the product team. I think that's pretty much also what Ivy said, bringing in the different stakeholder uh, views. Uh, we are trying to organize this um, usually using objective key results mechanism, OKRs, so that we align every quarter on um, the, the things we want to achieve as a 
overall company because um, I mean I can build the greatest product, but if we don't have the marketing or uh, sales campaigns uh, ready, then it doesn't help much. Or if the support organization is not equipped to actually help our clients, then uh, it doesn't work either. So that's something Absolutely. we also try to make sure that we cover the big picture. And how how long have we have been using OKRs? Um, uh, since the beginning of 2017. Okay, so it's fairly fairly recent uh, change. Yeah, well, we, we feel like it's now established. I mean, it's at least one and a half year by now. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, uh, it's part of, I think it helps us to also um, grow uh, as a company because we have to align a lot of things, um, gaining a lot more employees, uh, building up organizational uh, things around that. Um, so I think it's helpful, although like with every framework, it's something you need to implement on your own, right? Completely agree. Um, I think that's on the topic of kind of stakeholder management. Um, it's, I think it's, it's fairly inevitable that as, as companies scale, both in terms of the, their uh, kind of number of employees, but also their, their customer base, uh, like that creates tension. Um, and as, as product people, we're often in, in the center of that. Um, so I was wondering what advice you would give kind of less experienced product leaders uh, in managing difficult stakeholders uh, to kind of achieve the outcome that you're looking for. Um, and if we could start with Jonathan. Yeah, so we are um, still about a 30 people team and we're a consumer uh, company. So in terms of stakeholders, I wouldn't say that uh, this has been you know, uh, a big issue for us. But that being said, we can sometimes have, especially if you're in, in the middle of a really, really big technical transition or that kind of project where the rest of the team doesn't necessarily see the value all the time. Um, what we've, we're trying to establish is, is a strong culture of transparency, um, making sure that people on the team uh, know what the product team is working on, the product and the tech team uh, at every stage uh, so that there are no surprises, that are, there are no, I would say, uh, uh, lost accusations of anybody slacking off on certain project or anything because it's all there and people can see what we're working on. And that goes with roadmaps that need to be, you know, uh, accessible super widely uh, and, and very, very visible. And also, um, we do, we do all our, um, at the end of every sprint, we do a big review in public with every, everyone and in the middle of our huge office. I'm not huge, but big. <laughs> <laughs> but just so everybody gets an opportunity to see what we work on and to understand sometimes what the challenges are um, and, and the choices that we make. And ev because also everybody gets a chance to speak up at this point, this allows us sometimes to go back to a certain person from say the marketing team or the support team and say, oh, you mentioned that that's really interesting. It's not something that we were able to do in this sprint, but I wanna talk to you more about that. And then you can follow, it's an opportunity to follow up and to make sure that everybody feels that they have the voice heard. So that, that's what we're, um, pushing for because we're not at a point where say we would have a big sales team that could be really pushy with certain features that that's not our uh, yep. context. No, that makes sense. Yes. For a lot of companies that um, uh, are not co-located, this, this may become a problem uh, sooner. Um, um, Ivy, do you, want, do you want to go next? 
Yes, um, I totally agree with Jonathan, uh, especially in my company where we are 150 people organization across multiple location, we have to regularly communicate. Um, there are cases where, um, so I'll just talk a little bit about the HIPPO, the highest paid person's opinion. So there are cases where we have to manage these type of stakeholders. Uh, these stakeholders could be your boss or could be someone more senior than you, know, you in the organization. So from my experience, the best way to work with this type of stakeholders is to engage them throughout the entire product discovery journey. Sometimes uh, these type of stakeholders are brought in midway or towards the end of the project. And this may change the course of the entire project, right? So I believe that it's worth investing the extra time to over-communicate and align these stakeholders upfront in order to speed up the project in the long run. So the best way to think of these difficult stakeholders or even stakeholders from across different locations is to think of them as another team member in your project, uh, engage and align with them early on in the project and be open to their feedback. Yeah. Completely agree uh, on both uh, transparency, openness, uh, over-communicating. Um, yeah, this, at Antidote, we've, we've definitely found this, this, this helping. Um, um, Michael, how about you? Well, not a lot to add from the inside view. I can just confirm the over-communicating. It's actually, uh, I don't think this word exists in German, but it um, hits uh, the nail on top very, very well, right? But maybe looking a bit outside to more to the clients, uh, I can maybe add a few things. So what is definitely the same like with internal uh, key stakeholders is also with, it works with clients as well from my perspective. So you involve them early you, through user panels, for example, um, involving them inside the user journey validation, user testing and all these things, because this helps to give them a certain understanding that, that not everything is as easy as uh, it seems, right? So you probably all know that, that okay, but it's just like moving this from right to left, just do it and don't, don't talk about it. Unfortunately, software development yeah. is not that easy all the time. Um, the same with our idea portal, it helps definitely, as I said before, to bring uh, something into a relative context. So um, you gain that everybody sees, okay, these are ideas which are actually demanded by a lot of people. And uh, I encourage then guys and say, okay, put your idea in the idea portal. If you get a lot of votes, then we will definitely reconsider. But for the moment, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I cannot uh, go for that. Um, or... Uh, what's not so much a key in my current work here at Dexio, but for example, uh, working more in the enterprise uh, environment, it's definitely a thing that uh, sometimes you need to create an offer, right? And just send an offer uh, towards the client so that uh, he can decide on his own, is it worth the money I should invest or is it not? Because then you also get a final um, understanding. Is it really something which is a pain in the ass um, or is it just that he wants to um, be pushy to, to his vendor or something? Uh, and after all, I think the most important thing uh, being a startup is to know your sweet spot from my perspective. So if something really goes the wrong direction, then you might have to admit that this client uh, is maybe not the right client for your, uh, your offering. Um, and I would encourage everybody not to change uh, the own value proposition, not for this reason, at least there can be a multitude of other reasons. Uh, good ones, um, but to make sure that uh, you stay to what you actually want to offer. Absolutely. Um, Randy, I believe our 30 minutes is up, so uh, uh, I'll, I guess I'll hand it over to you. Uh, thank you, everyone, for, uh, for the discussion. Thanks, Matthews.
Good job, everybody. We want to give a special thanks to our Facebook viewers and uh, those that are watching us live. And you may watch us recorded. Special thanks to all of our panelists today, and especially to Mateusz for his moderation. Uh, visit our website, scaleupacademy.io, and you can learn more about us and what we do. And if you find these shows valuable, we hope you'll hit that like button and share today's show. I'm your host, Randy Kentrell, and I hope that you'll join us next week. We will continue our discussion on scaling up, and next week we will talk about talent. So until then, we'll see you on Monday, July the 2nd. Have a great one, everybody. Thanks. <music>